So check it. This episode contains strong language, as the title of the episode suggests. So listener discretion is advised, niggas. <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, hi there, ho there, beautiful people. Welcome to Fair Tide. <laughs> right up the, the gate, podcast, okay. The podcast for all those complex and complicated conversations about the gray areas in our lives. I'm journalist and editor Travel Anderson. I am journalist, writer, producer Jared Hill. Coming up on the show, we're going to be talking about a little word that uh, has become a big controversy. And I say become, I mean over the last 400 years. Uh, the word is nigga. That's right. We're going to be talking about the use of the word, the uh, the history of it, and how we feel about it. Nigga, nigger, niggy, nigget, nignog. We're going to see it as many times as we possibly can in this episode. <laughs> um, for the record, we will not be dancing around and calling it the N-word. Um, the word is nigga, and we will be discussing it. But first, it's time for tea time. Um, we are recording this episode a little bit early because I'm on vacation this week, and uh, I, I just wanted to have a little bit of chat about mental health and uh, all of the things. Um, we have a new show here on Maximum Fun called Depression Mode. I did an episode of that a number of, I guess, months ago now, and that'll be coming out later on. It's a, a great show that talks about depression and mental health and how people deal with that. Well, but why the hell I, they ain't call me? Um, thank you, Nignog. Um, we are, uh, but I, I've been, you know, going through a lot of different things and I talk about it on that show and then also here, but I am on vacation this week. I've been taking a break from social media for the last couple of weeks. I've debated whether or not I wanted to talk about this in public, but I've also been kind of curious about doing a story on it. I, after the uh, Capitol riot situation uh, on January 6th um, and then the inauguration, I, I've had a lot of post-traumatic stress um, after witnessing that. And as a you know relatively visible person who is anti-Trump and black and who has who will have Donald Trump in their obituary, I've been concerned about like my own safety and like what that might look like going forward. And I was like, if they can do that at the Capitol, they can sure roll up in here. And so it's made watching news really, really difficult for me since January. And I'm a person who has always been a news junkie. And uh, after seeing that, it, it my news consumption like fell off a cliff and so I haven't really been able to engage it and my my therapist has had me kind of take a break from social media um, and to stop watching news which is really difficult as a journalist I'm curious for you Travel. I did the story in Self Magazine um, last year uh, in I think it was in June or July about well about June in July about all of the uprisings that we'd had and do you ever have any guilt around not being plugged into to media for any given amount of time or do you ever unplug from media? Uh, uh, While you process that, I ask because... Oh, wow, she's singing. Um, I well, I asked that question because a lot of the journalists I spoke with, um, almost everyone said, like, they have moments where they just try to step away from news and from media. And all of us talked about having guilt around that because it's also part of the job. And I know that I'm a person that has that and, and struggles with being disconnected. But I also recognize that it's been really, really valuable for me. I think for me, I, I wonder if it's slightly different because I'm not... I'm not a hard news reporter. I don't do politics. I don't do crime, the crime beat, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, those types of things. I feel like you, if, if you do 
unplug for a day, you can miss a lot. I feel like with culture and entertainment, it's child, the, the, the <laughs> whatever Bootsy does today, he gonna do again. Not Bootsy. You know, <laughs> you know whatever transphobia he's Get got him going back on, on Instagram. He's like. gonna do it again, you know? And I feel like, I don't know. I, so I've never had an issue or any hangups or any guilt around stepping away. I've never really been into broadcast news, either local or cable news. Um, I watch it when there is something particularly like necessary that I'm interested in, in hearing conversation wise. I will say I used to watch Melissa Harris Perry's show on MSNBC on the weekends, mm. um, but that's no longer a show. And so I, I don't really even tune in to the shows that have come in her place. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, I get my little alerts on the phone. I only have two news apps on my phone, um, the LA Times and the New York Times. Um, and for me, that was my way of being like, I could get CNN and I could get this. I used to have, I used to have like 12 different news apps. Um, and when I was working at the LA Times in particular, um, and I would use it a lot of times just to see the different notifications and like which outlet put it out first. Um, mm -hmm. LA yes. Times is always behind. Um, CNN be late a lot too. So yeah. You know, and so, but, but other than I think I started, I'd say maybe three or four years ago, um, just New York Times, just the LA Times and leaving it at that. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I feel like for me, it's fairly easy to step away from news. Now, if we're talking about social, social media, I think that might be a little bit more difficult for me. Um, but, you know, I love just taking my phone, putting it in the room and walking away. Yeah. And not really thinking about it. Um, you know me, I will watch TV for 12 years um, or movies Ooh. or something like that. And that as an escape, I guess, but not necessarily intentionally, just as a way of just like filling my mind with something else. I know for myself, I've been a person who could turn on the news in the morning. And when I say the news, I mean like a cable news channel, usually MSNBC in the last few years. But like I would turn on MSNBC and I could have it on all day. Um, sometimes on mute, sometimes turned up and like I would I could watch it all day. Um, and I'm also a person who consumes a lot of other media, right? Like, I mean, part of the job is watching TV and, and movies and more so for you than even for me. Um, but in the last few months, I've had a really difficult time engaging television shows. I was in a meeting yes, uh, earlier this week about writing and like for screenwriting. And, you know, the question that people always ask you when you're screenwriting is, you know, what are you watching? And I told him I wasn't watching anything. <laughs> like, I'm not watching anything right now. And I've had a really difficult time immersing myself in shows and like getting able being able to like you know fall in love with a, a new show and binge it and you know be really immersed in it that's been really hard for me and I, it's something that is concerning to me in a way because it's so unusual for me but I also recognize like when I turn on the news now my like I said my viewership has really kind of fallen off a cliff when I'm turning it on now I feel like anxiety in my chest and like I can I know that like something's happening and it's concerning to me and it that is starting to die down but it is definitely something that I'm very aware of and have spent a lot of time in therapy talking about so it's it's been challenging oh I also want to note like you you at least this is from the outside looking in you may not be delving into X TV show or whatever, but you are, you know, getting your extreme home makeover on 
um, and paint walls <laughs> and doing different yeah. colors and swatches and all of that foolishness. So that's another way, right, to to disconnect um, yeah. from all of the things. But I also know you like to throw on podcasts and other stuff in the background as background noise. Well, even that, like, I've, I've, I'm as a podcast listener and as a podcast host and producer, like, I... I haven't even really been able to listen to podcasts the same way that I used to. Um, there's probably one or two shows that I listen to every week, and those even take me longer to get through than they have in the past. And for um, the record, he does not listen to Fanti all the time. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, I, I, I had this same kind of thing when I did my old show. Like, when I first started it, I would listen to every single episode and, like, want to hear every second. And now, like, after about a year, it's like, I don't have to listen to every episode because I was there and I know what was said. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm always excited to hear Jordan's edits and, like, the little inserts and things like that that she puts in. And I was just listening to last week's show uh, this morning. But, yeah, I don't, I can't listen to everything that I used to. <laughs> Jordan says, respect my work. Um, I, we can't, <laughs> I can't listen to everything anymore. And, like, my house is a lot more quiet than it used to be. I used to always have music playing or a TV show or something. And lately it's just been quiet. And so I don't know if other people have had that experience uh, in the post-Trump administration era. But, like, like the last five years have just been exhausting and I, I feel like I've really been burnt out. So, yeah. It's interesting you bring this up because also I tweeted and this doesn't necessarily match up with your your immediate situation, but I think it is it is connected to it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I tweeted, you know, just about like how I wish we would talk a lot more about the exhaustion and the tiredness mm. uh, and the kind of just depleted nature um, that black folks, queer folks, folks of color, some some women in this moment, particularly in news, in terms of like trying to drag their publications into this century and into relevancy. And I think even as a freelancer, we we shoulder some of that responsibility and that energy. And then definitely with the work we do at NABJ, both national and here in LA, um, it can just be a lot. And we don't talk a- enough, I think, about that. Um, and then Stacey Marie Ishmael, who a lot of folks in the industry might know, um, she was at, I believe, the Texas Tribune. She tweeted recently that, like, over the last year in particular, since she took her current, the, the job, it's been just like a breakneck pace of working mm. and working and working and being a Black woman um, and having to shoulder and deal with all of that. And so she was like, I quit my job. I'm taking mm. some time off. I'm done because I'm tired and we need to take that time. So as yeah. everyone's listening to this, you are on vacation in an undisclosed location. And I hope it does everything you need it to do. I love undisclosed location, like I'm at Camp David or some shit. Like, no, like, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I've been really fascinated and intrigued by uh, doing some work around the cost of people's work on them, mm-hmm. um, mentally, emotionally, physically, and uh, so I'm, I'm developing some things around that. So, um, all right. That's oh my god! Enough. Wait one second. What? You talked about the cost, and I just have to say, it dropped in my spirit a great lyric from the great songwriter Cece Winans. Uh, she says, you don't know the cost of the oil. Ah! Yes! Wow. wow. 
Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break while Travel has a shout break and um, go right on up. When we come back, we're talking about the word nigga. Oh, God. Ow! I'm just saying, child. Whether you're an avid news watcher like I normally am or in serious need of some distraction, unplugging yourself is easier said than done. So give your eyes a break from your screens and get the content you crave with Raycon wireless earbuds. No dangling wires or stems to get in the way. Raycons come in a range of stylish colors, but always with a comfortable in-ear fit for a more discreet look. Raycons are built with water and sweat-resistant construction and Bluetooth that pairs quickly and seamlessly with your device. And they have enough battery life to last for six hours. The best part? Raycon makes great sound accessible to everyone with wireless earbuds starting at half the price of other premium audio brands. Raycon is offering 15% off all their products for our listeners. And here's what you've got to do to go get it. Okay, go to buyraycon.com slash Fanta. That's it. It's real simple. You'll get 15% off your entire Raycon order. So feel free to grab a pair and a spare. That's 15% off at buyraycon.com slash Fanta. Buyraycon.com slash Fanta. Welcome back, Nig Nogs and others. Oh. Since the first episode of this show, Jen and I have debated about doing an episode on the elusive N-word trademark. Nigga, nigger, nigget, all of its beautiful when said by black folk varieties. It's been in the news rather recently with a number of newsrooms having to address its use by members of its staff, red, white people on its staff. And so we thought it was a, a good time for us, as any, for us to jump into this conversation. Um, I want to note two kind of moments in media in which it came up that will be a jumping off point for us. So first, it was Donald McNeil who was a star reporter at the New York Times, who apparently on a trip to Peru with high school students in 2019 said the word during a discussion about racist language. Um, after various complaints from parents and students about that and other offensive behavior, folks say he exhibited on that tour. Um, he was guiding, went public, he resigned. Then came Slate's Mike Pasca, who's a popular podcast host there, who debated with colleagues via their Slack channels um, about whether non-Black people should be allowed to quote the word in, you know, for journalistic purposes. Pesca earlier had tried to use the word apparently in a podcast segment and by some accounts had said it in other work contexts as well. He was suspended um, and most recently, I think, as, a, as another jumping off point for us, still processing the podcast hosted by Jenna Wortham and uh, Wesley Morris. They did an episode recently that we both were struck by in interesting ways that we will get into. So we wanted to have this conversation in our way about the nigga of it all. What, what to get us started, Jared, are you... Are you the type of person, the type of black person that grew up saying nigga, nigger? Is there a difference between the nigga and the nigger? <laughs> the nigga, the nigger. Um, I, my dad and like my dad's side of the family, I feel like I've always heard use the word pretty like freely. And so I've always heard it, but like my mom, I've never even heard my mom really express opinions about the about the word or like I I feel like maybe my mom has said it 
um, a couple of times, like in like extreme anger, but I can't even remember when times, when those times might be. So then as an adult, like I've always been pretty comfortable with using the word. Obviously we use it with each other and here on the show and other places. And yeah, listening to still processing though, this past, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago now. I was kind of irked by the conversation in a few ways. And like, I also recognize like they work at that uh, Wesley and Jenna work at the New York Times and there are limitations on what you can say when you're, you know, working at some institutions. Um, But presumably, right. Presumably. You're you're trying to say, you're trying to say, right. That they basically did the whole episode with that without ever saying nigga. Right. They Um, reference quote the N word throughout the entire episode. And, I've always, when it comes to like that phrase, the N word, it always irritates me because none of us don't know what's being said in that moment. And when, especially when black folks have to say it, but like even on the radio, when I've been on the air before, it's always annoyed me that I couldn't say the word because I always felt like that was about white people more than it was about you know, respect and black people and all of those things. Um, and it, I've always felt a way about having to not, not being able to say the word to make white people feel comfortable with the way that black people refer to each other or converse with each other. Mm. That's always really irked me. So that's kind of like the general gist of how I feel about it. How, how about you? Um, I don't think that, I ever had a conversation growing up with, you know, my guardians and my mother in particular that was like, you shouldn't say nigga for all of the reasons that, you know, older black folks in particular and then some black folks who are our age, right, typically shun the word Mm -hmm. right for the slavery implications uh, the degradation of the word historically etc 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 we never yeah we never i i don't recall i should say any of those types of conversations um and the only times i can think of folks in my family saying it nine times out of ten they were men and uh, it was both in a familial um term of endearment context but also in a pejorative context Mm. i felt like it i feel like it was just one of those words that it is one of those words that like depending on the inflection Mm -hmm. (laughs) depending on you know the er versus the a versus some other uh variation of it conveys the intention Absolutely. behind it like whether you're trying to to call somebody out or whether you're just trying to say hey what's up you know homie or whatever and that's my particular experience but i think what's important when we have conversations about nigga ultimately is that like it's about the the who can say it right the the people who are who are saying it and so for our conversation today we've basically we're not doing the the fan and anti structure we're going to break the conversation down by the audiences, if you will, or like the the cons- the users, the users of the word, potential users of the word nigga um, and nigger. And first and foremost, we're going to start with you white motherfuckers. Oh, <laughs> you like to use the word motherfuckers a lot. That's like, that's also one of your words. You're very so, Sam Jackson about motherfuckers. Last- <laughs> <laughs> so when, on last week's episode, when we were talking, you, we did a little bit about bitch. And we'll mm-hmm. probably do an episode on it. I was thinking that, like, 
I use motherfucker a lot for like everybody. Motherfucker is gender neutral and <laughs> you usually said with Jess, but sometimes also not. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. motherfucker is my word. But let's start with white folks because I feel like this is always the debate mm-hmm. more and more and more it's always about like can white people say it can you say it in this context can you say it when you sing it along to kanye and j cole can you, it, it all of that and then and then particularly in this media context as we mentioned with those two stories before journalists having conversations about whether or not they can say it you know in the context, I assume, of their reporting. So, okay, before I get into my perspective on why people saying it, I am curious about your perspective on journalists using it in their reporting, if it's a quotation or something like that. Because this was a big issue that came up with Slate, New York Times, as you as you mentioned. Um, what is your perspective on that? So I I have complex feelings, in particular because... You complex? Are they complicado? <laughs> <laughs> hate you um in 2015 when i was at the la times this was around i think the 50th anniversary of you know the civil rights movement in selma in particular and there was a story that they published on the front page of the la times wherein in the first few paragraphs they quoted somebody saying nigger mm-hmm. Um, and it ended, and the so the word nigger was on the front page of the LA Times in a, in a headline, in a subhead, or in a in the story. No, it in in the in in a quote okay. in the story. Okay. Um, but it and so the, like I said, the story was about the anniversary of Selma, and the reporter had interviewed this guy who was a former city council person, Glenn Sexton. I'm gonna say his name. Um, and here's the quote. Uh, here's the sentence. Of, of that section uh, quote it's going to be nothing but a nigger street party Sexton said using the epithet still heard on the streets here he went on to describe the participants in the march both the one in 1965 and a reenactment coming this Sunday with a torrent of vulgarities and the black folks at the LA Times felt away mm. because one a black person was not on the at the top of the masthead and part of the conversations that apparently had happened that dis- that led to them greenlighting the actual use of nigger as opposed to N-I, you know, asterisk, 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 uh, asterisk. What's wrong with me? Wow. Um, and, <laughs> and, and so we felt a way about that. But then in the collective of Black reporters, we all disagree. We, we had mixed feelings about like folks who thought, they that it should have been there and those of us who thought it should have been blurted out and i don't i don't know um it's one thing if you were quoting it in a story and somebody said it to you but i often think about the ways in which other epithets are used in our reporting and we don't think twice about blur about blurring them out you mean like Like, like i'm thinking of like faggot bitch uh 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 the c word cunt you know like all of these other types of words that come up sometimes in our reporting um and we automatically know the the response and nigger often seems to be one of those ones that um i guess there's sometimes there's some debate about mm-hmm. um and i should say the la times the the reasoning that we were given for them going forward with it was that they felt as if it demonstrated um the fact that like this guy 
contemporarily still feels this way and is using this word living in Selma when this anniversary is coming around, which I don't, I still don't know if I buy that reasoning um, as to why they did it. Um, but it was just something that, that stuck out to me in terms of this conversation about like journalists doing it. Um, but I also think it's different than like a podcast host in a journalistic context, you know, reading out something and saying nigga. I just, it, reading especially out, you if mean, you, you are mean, not black. You mean reading out a quotation or just like reading out an, their opinion? Both. Okay. Like like somebody reading out, quote, it's going to be a, a, a non-black person reading out in audible form. It's going to be nothing but a nigger street party, Sexton said. That my, my gut mm. goes, so it being in print, you feel like maybe one way, but uh, spoken verbally is d maybe different. I'm very clear that I don't think there are any instances in which non-Black people, and this might be specifically for white people mm. in, at this juncture of the conversation, saying nigga nigger any of the variations it it mm, i don't think mm -mm, y'all ain't atoned enough for your ancestors yet to be <laughs> wielding that word you know all willy-nilly that i that's where i am at this moment right now in this conversation She's like by the time this that episode comes out i might feel differently and i i have a prerogative <laughs> to change my mind um, I will say that when it comes to journalistic reporting, uh, especially in the example that you gave with a quote, I tend to think that we aren't doing anyone a service by pretending that they said in asterisk, 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 A. Um, kind of like the way I feel about the word, the N-word. Because I feel like if a person is, you know, being interviewed and decides to use the word nigga or nigger, or, you know, any other variation of it. There's a vitriol with when you hear white folks say that word, especially in the context of like being interviewed about something to do with black folks and things like that. And like, I don't know that we're doing anyone a service by pretending like this person didn't say something racist. And I don't but know what is, the right answer is. is. Well, I don't know what the right answer is as far as like, print versus verbal or whatnot. And I think that maybe all of these publications have a hard time um, and decide not to use it because there is such mixed uh, opinion about this. But like, I think part of the problem that we've had in this country is the way that we dance around conversations about race. And like one of my, one of the statements uh, or, or phrases or cliches or whatever um, that I hate the most in this country is we always talk about, we need to have a conversation about, right? We need to have a conversation about the N word. We need to have a conversation about, you know, insert other issue here. And I think that one, we don't have conversations about them but on the other hand, it's like we have so many conversations about a lot of things, but we don't like do anything about it. And like we've had the conversation about the N word, nigga, nigger um, in this culture, in this country and in the world for years at this point. Right. And like really what we need to do is address racism, anti-blackness uh, and, and all of the things that come along with it. When it comes to like whether or not white people can say it or whatever, and whenever I'm asked this question, I always say like, white people, you can say whatever you want to. This is fucking America, right? Like you can say or do whatever you want to do. Um, but just know that it comes with the cost 
right? And Delroy Lindo on uh, The Good Fight, his character's name is Adrian. He's on this show, in the show, and they're having a conversation about the N-word and how it's not fair that white people can't say it. Um, and they ask him uh, about it. And this is what that, how that went. We've talked about this on the show before. You have African-American rappers saying N-word this and N-word that, but a Caucasian can't. So say it. Say what? Say the word you want to say. I'm not saying that I want to say it. I'm just saying that I can't. Sure you can. Say it. Say it right now. <laughs> I will say it with you. Okay. This is hypocritical. You know we can't. Sure you can. This is America. Both of you. Say it. <laughs> mm. I, mm. All right. I think we can move on. Why? Why move on when you want to say it? Both of you want to say it. Huh? <laughs> All together. Everybody. What you can't see uh, in the clip is he's like, he's mouthing the word like he's about to say it and everyone, all the white people on set are uncomfortable. And what he says in there that I feel like black people hear when he says this is America is y'all are white people in America, right? Like black people and, and really people of color in marginalized communities understand that there is no widespread regulated consequence for racism because if there was, <laughs> We'd, we'd be past this, right? We would need to be, quote, having conversations about these things. And so when it comes to the word nigga and when it comes to racism in general, like white people act like they're gonna, they're gonna go to jail for saying the word. And, and so that is why my position is like, honey, if you really wanna say the word, say it, but know that it comes at a cost in certain places. The cost is sometimes <laughs> getting your ass whooped, right? Like the period. cost of the oil in my Alabama <laughs> box, right? Okay. Um. So I, as you were talking, I and I, I was thinking back on what I had just said about the LA Times. I wanted to also bring up two other things. So y'all know I was trying to push the envelope when I was at the LA Times, and I can't remember the dates of these instances um, in relation to the 2015 story I just told y'all about, about regarding the Selma situation. But I remember when Raul Peck's documentary, I Am Not Your Negro, um, based on um, Baldwin's work, came out. I remember I quoted one of the, the notable quotes of, of Baldwin's, which is like, I'm not the nigga, you're the nigga. Something like that is what Baldwin said. Um, and I just looked it up on my phone and we, we did not blur out nigger. Right. We did not blur it out in any way. It's 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 all of them letters right there. And then at the same time, I remembered this other story I did about a documentary called Field Niggas. OK, it's mm -hmm. a documentary by uh, Kalik Allah. And the name of the documentary was Field Niggas. And they would not let me write out field niggas not even in the text of i just pulled it up not even in the text of the story they have just field dot 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 um in terms of the name wow. of this guy's film um and they and i had to put in you know his new film field dot 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 whose title includes a variant spelling of the n-word and it's it's it, I remember being very upset mm. that they were taking this man's, the name of this man's documentary, and they would not let me say nigga because of the name of the doc, because of whatever, you know, issues that they had. And then 
I think it was a couple years later is when the Raul, Raul Peck situation happened. And so that just popped up in my head that I, I wanted to say. But I do think you're right that like ultimately, you know, white people, y'all can say it if y'all want. But like if you in a particular space and somebody, you know, responds in whatever way they respond, that is that is the, the cost of it. However, comma. I'm going to advise you not to say it. I mean, I'm going to advise you not to go around nigga, 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 nigga. Right. I would advise you that probably not a good call, but like turn up. I think also, I, I guess I get frustrated with white people telling black people when and where they can't use that word, right? And I wanted to name this episode nigga question mark, please, period, because I did this story in Huffington Post a number of years ago, um, probably like 2014 or so, um, about how we always try and act like we can police this word into uh, you know extinction in, in a way that I've always thought was just downright silly. And like I remember, I believe it was the NAACP like did a burial of the word nigga as if that were going to make people stop saying it and like I think this is one of those things that really infuriates me because and even with that story the headline was you know nigga question mark please period um and nigga being in quotes and when the story came out it was in apostrophe I mean excuse me in asterisk 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 and like that pissed me off because the whole story was about the fact that we have all this policing around the word. And then years later, I saw someone else in Huffington post to a story about the word nigga and the word nigga was in the headline. Even on this episode, we wanted to call this episode the same thing that I tried to use with Huffington post in, you know, quotes, nigga, question mark, end quote, please, period. Um, and the network that we're on maximum fun was totally in support of us having this conversation and being a part of and, and you know supporting that but in doing some research it seemed like no other podcast has used the word nigga in in the title of their show there's a podcast that has nigga is that part of the name of the show and uh it is in asterisk 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 and so it it, we were not told by Apple Podcasts that we can't use that word in our episode title, but it certainly seemed like it wasn't a safe choice to make, um, and maybe the episode would get blocked. And and so it's it's just interesting the ways that the word is policed in corporate cultures, um, or seemingly policed, because again, we haven't gotten guidance saying that we can't, but it certainly seemed that way. The, the other thing that comes up for me is, I remember and when we're talking about white people as we move on to other folks using it, Bill Maher on his show got in trouble because he just thought it was funny to throw out the, the in, a, in a conversation that was not even appropriate for something like this. He was like, oh, I'm a house nigga. And like, that was the thing that I remember thinking like, Bill Maher is someone who I've watched my entire life, but in the last few years has gotten more and more difficult for me to watch because I feel like he's becoming this old crotchety white man with some like really conservative perspectives on different things. And then to just kind of freely use the word nigga like that, like, like he just thought it was funny or whatever it was, it really, really pissed me off. And I, and I ended up writing a piece in NBC News for that, so. Do you make a distinction between nigga and nigger? Um, for white people? For anybody. Um, like, do, do those, do you re read slash receive those variations differently? Because for me, it's all the same to me. I mean, generally, it's the same. I, I you and I have had many a laugh about the hard R. Um, and like, I, I mean, <laughs> there are instances when like the hard R just feels like 
it's a little bit funnier or like it drives the point home a little bit more. Um, but I generally am, I will generally use the A, but like sometimes the R is a little bit, is a little bit more fun. Um, but yeah, it's comedic you know. effect. Exactly. You know, like, no, what Nick, like, yeah. Okay. So let's transition to non-black people of color who use it as well, mm -hmm. right? So this is our Middle Eastern siblings, Asian folks, Latinx folks, et cetera. Um, and I feel like, you know, what we do know is that in a lot of contexts, many, many, some of these people, right, their thing is like, oh, I have Black people in my family, right? And, or I grew up around Black people, you know, saying it, right, as a, as a justification for uh, their abilities to say it. And I like what, uh, <laughs> I like what uh, uh, somebody said, I can't believe it, if it was you or Jordan or somebody said it in our production meeting, was that like, when people say I have Black people in my family, it's like, is it your mama or your daddy? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I like. I, is it in the blood? Your actual bloodline DNA? Sis? Right, right. Um, do you fall underneath them in the in the family tree? I, I first of all, that was hilarious to me, but also like a perfect way to phrase it. Right? Like, is it your mama or your daddy? Okay, no. So then you don't need to be saying it. Goddamn it. <laughs> but for me, this is a little bit more of a gray area, and I'm going to be talking about D Smoke a little bit later. But D Smoke is a rapper that I really, really love, and he was on a podcast with Talib Kweli and talking about um, this specifically, and he was saying how he grew up with, you know, uh, with a lot of Latinx people, and they all He's grew from up, South LA. He's from Inglewood, specifically. Um, and, like, how, you know, they all grew up together using it, and so there is one thing when it's like, oh, this is a part of, like, culture that you grew up in, as opposed to, like, oh, this is something that you heard in a song and you want to sound like you're down. And so... For me, when it comes mm. with Latinx and, and Asian folks and Native folks and, and Indigenous people, like it's, it is a little bit more gray, but it does make me cringe a little bit. Um, it's not necessarily a thing where it's like you need to watch your fucking mouth, but it is a thing where it's like, okay, <laughs> tiptoe. Well, I don't. So here, I think it's it's situational. Yes, right. Context like, matters. If you, are, if you are with your homies that you grew up with, look at me saying homies. If you're with your homies that you grew up with, um, and you're saying it, and they and and it is understood that like you can say it, then like cool. But when you find yourself in other black communities to transpose that um that permission that you were given in one in one sec sector of black community to all sectors of black community that feels um presumptive to say the least um and I, and i also feel like you know no shade to the black people in your community that like you know gave you permission or just never really thought about it or called it out but it does feel still i'm just always wondered wondering about if these folks who are not black but are folks of color who are interested in you know engaging with blackness in various forms whether it's the n-word or whether it's you know who um, uh door knocker earrings or cornrows or whatever the case may be if they themselves are aware that they are not black one and two that they could be potentially benefiting from and perpetuating anti-blackness as they 
move through whatever they're doing. Um, and that seems to be something that, in my experience, has been missing from folks who are non-Black POC, but find themselves, you know, in community with uh, black folk. So I remember my dad talking about um, kind of like reaching back to the white folks using it piece. Um, he, I remember him saying to me, like, whenever white people are having this conversation, I always ask them, well, why do you want to say it so much? Like, why does it mean so much to you to even be able to say it? And like, white people also have a really difficult time answering that question, usually when you ask them like point blank I in bet. the face. <laughs> um, but like, the other part of that is for even for non black folks that are using it. Um, if they've had like quote a past right with their black friends that they grew up with or in the community that they that they came up in, um, I always just like to remind people that like that past is not is not always transferable right like that past works with your friend that that gave you that past but it doesn't necessarily work in the street. My granny would say the past is the past. You stood a rooster on crow no more. The past is the past. You leave the past in the past, honey. We in the present, honey. You stood a rooster on crow no more. Used to the oh, as in used to, used to the rooster don't crow no more. It's also interesting how you are you are forcibly putting ers on 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 rooster Euster to rooster. Okay, first of all, fuck you. Okay. <laughs> used to the rooster don't crow no more. Leave it alone. Just it's fine. Just, just I, I move think on. I get that. Anyway, I I mean I guess it's a, a you know well used to the rooster don't crow no more. So really, well, I think that was better, right? It was. It was. Yes. There there are plenty of people listening that were like, huh? Anyway, They'll be I right. guess for me the other interesting part of this conversation is the black folks that aren't comfortable with the use of the word. Right? We talked about um, Jenna and Wesley on uh, still processing, saying that they're not as comfortable using it. Um, and whenever I think about that, I always think about. I Oprah. just want to. I want to j- jump in really quickly. I just want to say that it it it. I think one of them said that it was a word they weren't necessarily the most comfortable. Uh, having used or using themselves Wesley or it being used toward them. Yeah, I just I just wanted to, you know, add that clarity. Well, I mean, they both said that there's a, a level of discomfort that they have with it now that they may not, that I think Jenna said that she didn't have in the past. But like, I always think about Jay-Z and Oprah having this conversation on the Oprah show. Um, and like her saying that she would she would love it if he didn't use the word anymore and him saying like it doesn't have that same power to me that it has for you and like I understand Oprah's perspective and, and many people of her of her generation or of her perspective saying like that was the word that you know some black folks heard the la- it was the last word that some black folks um, heard as they were being lynched or when they were you know being you know attacked and things like that um, which I think that has validity and like I understand that people like Oprah uh, Oprah either specifically or again as people with that perspective like it's just never going to be okay for them and if that's how you feel about it I totally get that and I, I respect it I just don't have that perspective and I don't have that that same um, trauma or attachment attached to it that um, some other folks have. But when it comes to black people who don't feel comfortable using it, it's it, I, I, it's always an interesting conversation. I'll put it that way. I'm reminded of uh, a segment of one of Kendrick Lamar's songs in which he talks about the, I guess, the I think it's the Ethiopian usage of negus, N-E-G-U-S. 
Um, and it's it's supposed to be like related to like kings or something like that. There's I forget which song it is. Somebody out there will tweet it at me and let me know. But it's one of his songs in which he talks about kind of the history behind Negus, um, which I guess is supposed to be like the parent, if you will, of nigga. Um, but here's the thing. For, as for me in my house, if you black, I try to mind my, my black ass business and let other black ass motherfuckers do whatever the hell they want. Whether you want to say it or don't like it or and, and all of that. Like those particulars mean very little to to me personally. Um, I do think that I have concern and issues with you know black folks who 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 judge and want to police other black folks's usage of it because like just because it's not cool for you doesn't mean it has to also not be cool for uh, for other black people mm. um and i am someone who i think i said the way we've described it is like black people who don't like saying the n-word and then you know black people who love saying it just like they love fried chicken Listen. i'm in that category of the black people who love it like they love fried chicken honey okay uh and i don't even use it that much i i really don't but like if somebody calls me you know that that they nigga or whatever the case may be that is it, it just is what it is like it's 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 fine um and we all know that i've used on this show a number of times nignogs um i like nignogs that's that's you know the the travelification of nigga the travelification um okay we are gonna wrap up this conversation but uh white people we really don't need your emails on this one love y'all but we what you think about this I really don't care. Like, and I say that with love, <laughs> but like, I don't care what white people think about this conversation. I don't care what white people think about how we use the word with each other. I just don't. And like, again, said with love, but I don't give a fuck. Um, I am interested in what black people have to say about it and what your perspectives are, but, um, you know, I, I just don't care what white people think about it. Can I just it. say one last thing? Go. I'm also tired of talking about nigga. Like I, yes. I feel like I feel like every couple years it rolls up and we talking about nigga again as if it's new. Um, and I know we we we're, we're sort of perpetuating that because we did a whole fucking episode about it. But like I'm really tired of it. Like beyond. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I, I I'm tired of like I, I'm tired of white people acting like they don't understand why they quote unquote can't say it. But anyway, um, we're gonna take a quick break and get back to why y'all love and hate us so much in our listener feedback and dishonorable mentions. Um, you can tweet at us if you're black uh, about this conversation using the hashtag <laughs> FantiFam. We'll be jumping in and responding to your posts on Twitter and Instagram from at FantiPodcast. We want to know what you think about the conversation. Again, if you're black. Um, we'll take a quick break and be right back. Hey, kid. Your dad tell you about the time he broke Stephen Dorff's nose at the Kids' Choice Awards? <laughs> In Dead Pilot Society, scripts that were developed by studios and networks but were never produced are given the table reads they deserve. When I was a kid, I had to spend my Christmas break filming a PSA about angel dust. So yeah, being a kid sucks sometimes. Presented by Andrew Reich and Ben Blacker. Dead Pilot Society, twice a month on MaximumFun.org. You know, the show you like, that hobo with the scarf who lives in a magic dumpster. <laughs> Doctor Who. Yeah. Hey, J. Keith. Hey, Helen. Hey, you've got another true-false quiz for me? Yep. Our trivia podcast, Go Fact Yourself, used to be in front of a live audience. True. Turns out that's not so safe anymore. Correct. Next. Unfortunately, this means we can no longer record the show. False. The show still comes out every first and third Friday of the month. Correct. Fine. 
finally, we still have great celebrity guests answering trivia about things they love on every episode of Go Fact Yourself. Definitely true. And for bonus points, name some of them. Recently, we've had uh, Ophira Eisenberg, plus tons of surprise experts like Yardley Smith and Suzanne Summers. Perfect score. Woo you can hear Go Fact Yourself every first and third Friday of the month with all the great guests and trivia that we've always had. And if you don't listen, well, then you can go fact yourself. That's the name of our podcast. Correct. Woo! Welcome back, beautiful people. We're going to get into our listener feedback segment, your opportunity to tell us all the wondrous things you love about the show. And we have an email from Adria. Um, and they say, hey, I've been listening to your show for several months now, and I want you to know how much I love it. I'm still making my way through the archives, which is good because I know I always have a Fanti episode, episode in my back pocket if I need it. When I have high anxiety days, I know y'all can make me feel better. Thank you for your energy and sincerity. I don't know if it's Thank a, you, Adria. Is it Adria Adria? Adria, Audria. I'm not sure. It's a cool name. We love you nonetheless. Nonetheless. All right. We also got this email um, from Allie. I love that she was responding to our Grammy Schwammy uh, Oscar Schmosker episodes and her subject line said, Tony Schwoney, which I appreciate it. Um, her letter in part says, I've wanted to write in many times, but this past episode about the Academy Awards had me particularly inspired. I'm a theater teacher and theater nerd and have always loved watching the Oscars and Tonys since I was a little girl. I've been frustrated with the lack of representation for some time now, but your conversation with Brooke allowed me to think even more critically about these award shows and why we hold them in such high regard. Um, as a side note, I've gotten phone calls from folks saying that they loved Brooke on the episode and that she was so brilliant as a guest so shout out to Brooke for being great um, Allie yes. goes on to say in my classes I start a lot of lessons by highlighting a black theater artist because cue music black history is happening every day and I realized that oftentimes I emphasize the awards that certain artists have won. I write a little blurb about the artists and always mention if they've won any Academy Awards, Tonys, or Grammys. Your talk with Brooke really made me question why I focus on this so much and what message that sends my students. I'm making a new commitment to highlight artists based on their work and talent, not just their awards. I'm looking forward to exploring more Black theater artists and my students um, with my students and not focusing on the awards as a measure of worth or success. I really appreciated this because when we started this show, we had all these ideas about like who would be listening and what the feedback would be and blah, blah, blah. And like, I never considered um, how many times we would hear from teachers talking about their classrooms or their students or yeah. having their students listen to the show. I think we got an email uh, in the last couple of weeks saying um, a teacher uses this to show their t their students how to craft an argument. And so those are some of the more meaningful uh, emails that I've seen over the, the course of the time that we've been doing the show, because it seems like you know, it's having an impact in the way that even children are learning about different things. So I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. That. We've also gotten an email, I think, uh, late last year sometime about being, um, uh, we were like cited in somebody's dissertation or something Someone's like dissertation, that. Someone's dissertation, yeah. Um, so shout out to you. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's I think it's great for us all to think differently about like the stock that we put in in awards. Um, and even I I was just thinking about you know in our bios how like you know it's always like such and such is an award winning journalist because the the awards in this society is supposed to convey that like oh this person is hot shit or they're really good at their job or or right 
for the culture for the community or something like that um and it definitely is a, a mixed bag i think in terms of what that means and what that conveys to to other people so thank you for that ali we're gonna get into our dishonorable mentions i really only have one so would you like to kick us off jared um sure i will uh, want to shout out um, this new youtube original series called super sema um i'm gonna read you like the way they describe it because they do a really cool job they say get ready to technovate with africa's first kid superhero youtube originals delivers five new episodes of its new animated series featuring a young superhero african girl named sema she's fueled by steam s-t-e-a-m which is uh, s-t-e-a-m science technology engineering art and math with um her superpowers this series follows the world-changing journey of an extraordinary young african girl who lives in neo-african futuristic uh, community of uh, which i believe is dunya um and i'm excited about this because i have a little nephew who is like really into cartoons and like loving all of these things that he's seeing on television and so i'm excited to like watch this with him but it's called super sema s-e-m-a and it's a, a really cute little show it's only like five six seven minutes and a great show to be able to check out um, I want to also give an honorable mention to two artists that I've been listening to a lot that I have not seen enough conversation about in broader culture. Um, they are D Smoke and Sir. D Smoke, uh, if you want to find a song to like check out, D Smoke has a song called Black Habits. It's also the name of his album, Black Habits. Sir happens to also be his brother. Um, Sir, if you want to check out a song, look at for The Recipe. Um, his album's called Chasing Summer. They are both uh, really dope artists from Inglewood that I've been listening to. I found D Smoke um, after seeing him on the BET Awards last year. He was also on that show Rhythm and Flow on Netflix um, with Cardi B and T.I. And, um, and Chance the Rapper um, and, you know, performed on that show and that's how he kind of rose to prominence um so d smoke and sir are two really really fantastic artists that you should go check out finally i just want to give a dishonorable mention to capitalism and white supremacy the two of which working in concert would have us believe that the primary meaning of life is to work a job and if you think i'm wrong look at how much of your day you spend living your life and how much of it you spend doing work or traveling to work or traveling back from work I'm just really starting to like really um, wrestle with that a lot. And I, I've talked before about my difficulty with like being off work, ironically this week, obviously. Um, but like the moments when I'm like tuning out of work, I'm always feeling like I should be working. And lately I've just been thinking a lot about how that's capitalism and white supremacy because all of the work that we do goes to make white people richer. That's all. Oh yes, I'm still here too. Um... You told me to do all my <laughs> hoe. What did you want me to say? Um, I just have one honorable mention, which we're going to tack on to our Black History moment because Black History is happening every day. And that is to the one and only Tina Turner. She's got this doc on HBO Max. Jared, you've written a whole soliloquy about her so go for it. Yes, I want to dedicate this week's uh, Black History is Happening Every Day to the wigged wonder, the stilettoed superstar, the leg legend, the fucking force that is the mm. incomparable Tina Turner. Her new documentary called Tina is on HBO Max right now, and it is incredible. I watched it last night, and I, I we've never really seen Tina's story through the lens of Tina Turner's eyes, um, and it is in five acts. It is 
do yourself a favor and go watch it. Um, this clip, which is a bit longer than we would normally do, is in celebration of her incredible life and career. It's one of the moments from my childhood that I'll never forget. Um, she did her final world tour that was called the 24-7 tour, which became the one last time live concert film that aired on CBS. Uh, it's filmed at Wembley Stadium and seemingly was in front of 90,000 people. Um, I was in high school, homosexual as Billy Porter on any red carpet and flying around my living room wow. <laughs> tossing. I mean, that's pretty gay. Um, I was flying around the living room, tossing my non-existent hair and throwing my body like a Tina Turner dancer and getting my life. Here is a an iconic clip from that concert um, that you will absolutely recognize. Do not sway back and forth when you hear that. You're probably not alive. It's the most iconic opening to Proud Mary. And I know that I cannot watch this concert or even just this video without like moving. It is just an iconic moment. Um, And I just I love Tina Turner. Also, Tina has been reportedly very ill. Um, and so I do want to acknowledge that with us taping this episode in advance, I'm not sure what the status of Tina's health will be at the time that this episode comes out, but I just wanted to honor her in our Black History is Happening Every Day. And there it is then. And there you go. Um, if this conversation piqued your interest and you want more of this... Good, good. Wow, thanks for paying attention. Um, check out other episodes that have a related conversation. Um, we've got two that you can go check out. Number Episode number 10, The Reason Black People Don't Eat Chicken in Public, featuring Sam Sanders from NPR. And the episode that really got us into some trouble um, with some folks, with white people, let's be honest. Um, the Whoopins episode. <laughs> uh, that was episode number 33. I can't believe that was that long ago now. It seemed like it was not that long ago. Um, so, yes. We ask that uh, you go check out those episodes and uh, revisit those conversations. We ask that if you love the show, that you give us a five-star rating and uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's episode, tweet at us at Fantai Podcast or follow us on Instagram at Fantai Podcast using the hashtag Fantai Fam. 
Yes, yes, yes. And if you would like to become a financial member of the Fantive Fam and help support the work that we do here, you can easily do that by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. And as always, you can email us at Fantai at MaximumFun.org. Our music is by Corey's. You can find him wherever you get your slate worthy audio at C-O-R.E-C-E. Our graphics are by Ashley Wayne. As we go, we leave you with a little bit more of the legendary Tina Turner from One Last Time. Our producers are Laura Swisher and Jordan Cowley. This is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. I think that kind of rhymed. So you think you Talib Kweli now? Yep. Yep. (laughs) A lyricist.